0: Some of our young adults were going to go surprise Christian Jorgensen today. Christian preaches up in Tomahawk, uh, which is in West Virginia. And so they had plans to go up there and surprise him today. They didn't go. They found out Christian's in Australia. (laughs) So they didn't go. Best laid plans, I guess. But it'll happen eventually. So pray for Christian as he's uh, gone, and uh, also as he's received news about Dave Savage's passing, because he and Dave were very close and uh, were roommates for quite a while. So uh, I know that his heart is is uh, is grieved today. But also, uh, I've seen on Facebook he said, "I'm going to see you someday, Dave. We're going to be together in heaven." And so that that's really, really uh, the way. We are brought so much comfort as somebody passes from this life. Today we're wrapping up our series in the Bible, a book in the Old Testament, the Old, of the Bible. And Daniel was written by Daniel, okay? Very good. And uh, he's one of the young exiles that were taken to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar in about 605 B.C., we believe. Uh, there were several waves of people taken from 607 to 586 And by the time we get to Daniel 5, uh, the chapter that we're in, Daniel is much older than that. He has been a key advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar for many years, about 25. And now uh, he's uh, uh, still kind of hanging around for the the next king, which is King Belshazzar, which is actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Um, Although, uh, we may have a little trouble here this morning. Let me move this other mic. We'll just do that, and then we won't have to worry. Okay. I think I can still see, and you can see, so we'll be okay here. Uh, And so he's been serving for many, many years. Uh, He may be uh, quite a bit older now, uh, and yet uh, what's sad is that the new king doesn't really take him on as uh, an advisor is really helpful to him. He kind of leaves him out to the side as if... He's not one of the best resources that he could really have as the king. Belshazzar was a king that was kind of living it up as king. He's enjoying himself. He's enjoying the fruits of his grandfather's labors, but he's not really protecting his kingdom the way he should be. The Persians were already taking over parts of Babylon, but now they are approaching the great city. The capital city itself and King Belshazzar isn't really worried because he thinks his city is secure impenetrable and so if you'll turn to Daniel chapter 5 with me we'll start with the very first verse of that chapter King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them and while Belshazzar was drinking his wine he gave orders To bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak, and his knees were knocking. Now, how many of you watch football? Any football fans in here? How many of you know what a two-minute warning is? Okay, two minutes. Sound goes off. Game is... Is stopped momentarily so that two minutes can be registered. There's two minutes left on the clock, and that means what? That means it's time to do something. <laughs> if you're behind, you have two minutes to change that scenario. You have two minutes to make something good. And so two minutes means do or die. <laughs> it's time to win the game if you possibly can win it. And this is what God is giving Belshazzar, a two-minute warning, although actually his time has basically run out already. Time is up. You have two minutes to figure out what the writing on the wall is saying and and what it means for your kingdom. This is serious business. And even though he didn't know exactly what the message meant, when he saw this hand appear on the wall, say under one of these lights that we have scripture, everybody's attention was drawn there. And Belshazzar is scared to death. He's scared to death to see it. An ominous message appears written on the plaster of the wall, and he has no idea really what it means, but it's probably not good. Think of the Adams family. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together, ooky, the Adams family. Now come on. Da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. Da 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 da. -da. Now sing along, their house is a museum. When people come to see them, they really are a scream. The Addams family. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. -da -da. Uh, You just dated yourself. I know all of you have watched that show many times. You grew up on that show like I did. And one of the characters in that show was someone that lived in a box, a hand. They didn't know what to call it, so they called it thing. Okay, it's just thing. Separated from its body, but it could still do everything that a hand can normally do. This is what Belshazzar saw, not thing, but the hand of God. A hand up on the wall, suddenly writing this message, and it scared him to death, and it should have. And uh, even though he's uh, totally unnerved by his saw, he, he, what he saw, he, he, he didn't really know the message until Daniel was brought on the scene. Let's continue uh, in verse uh, 5. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared, wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace, and the king watched the hand as it wrote. Verse 7. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, diviners, and then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. None of them could read or interpret the writing. None of the usual go-to guys. You know, every king has his go-to guys. And none of them had a clue what this message was. They were no help at all. But his mother, uh, the queen, they called her. It's kind of an odd arrangement going on here at this time. Had this idea. Maybe she thinks I could still save the day. Maybe her son's life could still be spared. Verse 10 The queen, hearing the voices of the king and and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, really his grandfather, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Daniel had a very great gift that's been one of the main themes of this book the ability a gift from God to interpret dreams even to know what somebody had dreamed without them telling what the dream was he's had his own dreams we discover he's been very instrumental in Nebuchadnezzar's reign and his understanding and now he's going to do the same for Belshazzar but the news is not going to be good Belshazzar had often consulted his wise men, but he had never consulted the wisest man in his kingdom. So here is a leader who is ignoring the greatest insights that he could have possibly gained. And uh, this reminded me so much of our country, isn't it? So many other lands today where our rulers and our leaders are, are ignoring the wisdom they could have. If they would only turn to God and say, God, what do you want? What would you say? How would you show us to live as a nation, how to conduct our business as a country? Instead, we just talk with our peers. We just learn from those who probably were going to say what we already know they're going to say and, and uh, keep this small body of his advisors around us and not learning from the wisdom that they could have had if they had only tapped into the wisdom of God. In this case, God given a message, and it is only God's man who could correctly interpret that message. Verse 13, so Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight and intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Belshazzar promised David or Daniel great wealth, uh, but he refuses the gifts, says, Give them to someone else if you like, but I will tell you what this message means. I will tell you the truth that God wants to communicate to you in your kingdom today. As we read on, we'll see that Daniel gave the, hi- the history uh, of, of what had happened to his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't mince any words. He gave the king a graphic reminder of what happened to his grandfather when the grandfather had exalted himself and pretended that he was God. And this was obviously family history that Belshazzar already knew, but he had chosen to ignore. It was history about his grandfather, which he refused to learn from. And so Daniel's task is to inform Belshazzar in no uncertain terms that he stood under God's judgment for the blasphemy he committed that very night. Here's what Daniel told the king. Verse 18. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and the peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he He humbled, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he sets them over them, anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand, your life, and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Daniel had the courage to give Belshazzar the whole message from God, as terrible as it was. He didn't spare the king even the most unsavory parts. And at the end, he drew a conclusion about what Belshazzar had done. Daniel said, you knew all of this. But you did not honor the God who holds your life in his hand. Then he went on to interpret precisely what the miraculous hand had written on the wall. Verse 25. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of sixty-two. The name Belshazzar, interestingly enough, means Baal protects the king. <laughs> but most certainly, Baal could not protect this king or any other king, for Baal is a false god. Baal is not real, though millions of people have worshiped him or false gods like him. And people still do this today, don't they? They still worship all kinds of false gods that they have created, maybe in their own image or created in the image of an animal. And they say, I will bow down to this God and he or she will give me whatever I want. Belshazzar and his family had placed their confidence in a God that didn't exist. A God that could not help them even after the grandfather had been shown the only God was the God of the Jews, Jehovah. He was the one true God in this universe. So Belshazzar was unprepared for the Persian attack that night. Feasting with his nobles, while the Persians carried out their attack and he was killed within the next few hours after the pronouncement of God that came with the handwriting on the wall. Belshazzar mistakenly trusted in his gods after, and the strength of his city rather than in God of the Hebrews. What we see here is a, a pattern that many people have fallen into today a pattern of life, a philosophy of life, that while there is trouble and while there is danger and while serious things need to be considered, they're unprepared and instead spending their time wasting that time. Instead of preparing for the Persian attack, Belshazzar was partying with thousands of his nobles and his wives, and he was partying when he should have been preparing. He was feasting, when he should have been fasting. And this was a recipe for disaster. Belshazzar had bought into a philosophy of life. It's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We see that several times posted in scripture. Many people live by this credo. I saw yesterday this same thing, eat, drink, and be merry, uh, brazenly put up as part of, of a name of one of the restaurants in Gainesville. Here's the name of the restaurant, eat, drink, and be merry. That, that's our philosophy. If you want to do that, come here and we'll take care of you. And I noted they didn't put tomorrow we die part of that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is how many people live, and this is how you would live if you have no future and you have no hope. You postpone the inevitable as long as you can, and you live life as full as you can until there's no more life to live ignoring the fact that this is only the proving ground, the testing ground, for what is real life. And Belshazzar was thinking, you know, I'm untouchable. I live in this city with 300-foot-high walls. These walls are 25-foot thick. Who could possibly get in here to hurt me? I can't be touched. Obviously, that night he'd had too much wine to drink, so... Probably he wasn't in, using all of his mental faculties anyhow. He could say whatever he wanted to say and do whatever he wanted to do, or so he thought. And so he ordered someone to go to the treasury where they had kept the goblets that had taken, been taken from Solomon's temple. And he said, bring them in here so that we can use them tonight for this feast. And by doing so, he became guilty of blasphemy and idolatry. He and his cronies lifted up drinks to their false gods, setting themselves up against Almighty God, the one true God. And when anybody does this, when anybody exalts himself against God and challenges God, don't be surprised when God accepts the challenge and God answers them. And in this case, he answered within minutes. Now, sometimes it takes God a little bit longer to answer Such a boast, such a challenge, such an act of blasphemy or idolatry, but he will answer. And everyone will answer for what they have done against God and exalting themselves against him. So what are the takeaways? I'm going to run out of voice. You're going to run out of time. So let me get to the takeaways. First of all, I want to say that if you're somehow acting like Belshazzar that did that night, don't ever think you're going to get away with that. I I don't know your life. I don't pretend to know what's going on in your life. But this passage issues a strong message, a strong call to repentance that you might change your heart before it is too late. It was already too late for Belshazzar, but it's not too late for you or me. God sees things that we maybe can't see in someone else because he's got. He knows exactly what's in every heart every person that is here today he sees what is inside us uh, even when we maybe ourselves don't see it he, he sees beyond what our actions were that maybe else uh, someone else could see to what our motives were and what we were trying to do and what really our heart was about we respect and we admire God for that and we are answerable to him for that the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we wake up and we say, you know, we, we do answer to God. And he does know what's going on in my heart. And he sees everything that's going on in my life. And we answer to him for that. It's a very good move. A very wise move on our part. He knows also when we say, I'm going to sin and ask for repentance later. And that's not a very good place to be. God judges our hearts, both sinners and saints, and he is the only one with the right to do that. And God does not turn a blind eye to our sin. If you are engaged in a secret sin, repent. That's, that's That's the formula. That's the answer. That's the solution. Turn away from that sin and turn toward God. Come to Jesus if you've never done that and be saved be delivered from your sins and from their consequences. It's offered to you freely. It's offered to you unconditionally through Jesus Christ, who's already paid the penalty for your sins. So if that's where you are, if you have never done that, this is a call to repentance today. And that's all you need to know, a call to repentance and respond to that call by repenting and turning to the Lord today. Someone imagined that Satan and his demons had a meeting about how to trip us up. And one demon said, you know, I know what we should do. Let's go tell everyone there is no God. And they considered that for a while. And so he went out to start telling people that. Some people believe that. Another person went out and said, let's tell everybody there is no evil. And so they said, well, maybe that will do some good. And he went out. Finally, another one said, you know, I've got it. I figure out the perfect way to do that. Let's go ahead and tell them that there's a Bible that is God's word. Let's tell them that there is a heaven and a hell. Let's even tell them that Jesus is the Savior and that if they believe on him, they will be saved. But then let's tell them there's no hurry. Let's tell them that they don't have to make up their minds right now. Let's tell them that they still have time to to live however they want to live. And it turns out that Satan loved that that strategy the most of all you know Satan doesn't care if you know the truth as long as you don't do anything about it but God wants you to know the truth about your life and mine so that you can repent and I can repent and we can get our hearts right with him before it's too late that's why a hand appeared on the wall so Belshazzar would know there is a God and that he needed to repent of his life before it was too late. Now, there's a second takeaway for those of us who have already repented and already come to Christ. We're already living for Christ. We're already striving to live the life that he wants us to live with his help. And that is this, that God is still looking for witnesses like Daniel to live in this world, to be strangers in a strange land. God is looking for witnesses like you and me. God used Daniel in his generation, and he wants to use us in ours. God is looking for witnesses to shine a light of hope and truth in this broken, painful world. And if we are Christians, as most of us are, then we are sent out every day. We are sent out every day to make his message clear. And he's asking us, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness with credibility? You know, others could, could not tell Belshazzar what the message was. But his mother said to him, you know, there is a man, a man we can count on. There is a man who knows what he's doing. There is a man who has the spirit of the holy gods inside him called Daniel. And Daniel was this man of God in that pagan culture, a witness with credibility. He had a long history in Babylon as a man of God. He had a track record, and people will listen to us when we have proven our integrity and when we have proven that we truly care about them. The only way you can establish this is to always tell the truth, to be the best person that God can help you to be, and then to have a genuine heart of compassion and love. This is credibility of the witness, and this will gain a hearing for God. Can I get a witness, God asks, who has courage? Daniel was not afraid to speak truth to power. He didn't care about the rewards Belshazzar offered. He just wanted the king to know the truth, even though it was painful. Daniel was maybe way up in years, maybe 70, 80 years old by now. And he said what was on his mind, maybe because the king couldn't really touch him. You know, I'm about the end of life anyhow. No, that's not true. Because Daniel had told the truth all the way through. He had the courage all of his life to speak whatever God showed him to speak. So be courageous in your witness for Christ. Count on the Holy Spirit to empower you to say and do things that you never thought you could. And when the Spirit is backing you up, you will be able to say things that you would never say on your own. Can I get a witness who will tell the whole the truth, the whole truth? Daniel gave Belshazzar the whole message that God had sent, even the unsavory parts. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. It was a hard truth, a truth that was difficult to speak and difficult to hear. But it was the whole truth. And the truth Daniel spoke came true that very night. He told the truth. He maintained proper respect for the king, but he spoke plainly. I wonder how many times, by contrast, however, that we do not say what needs to be said. How many times do we neglect to tell the truth because we do not want to offend or because we do not want to cause someone pain or discomfort? So instead, we keep our lips sealed. We need to start telling the people around us, our fellow Americans, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. What is that truth? Well, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But all around us are people who are buying into false philosophies and religions right and left. Can I get a witness? God is asking we sang this morning, What Can Wash Away My Sins? And we said, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But people are trying everything imaginable to save themselves. Can I get a witness? God is telling us, You are my witnesses. You are my handwriting on the wall so that the world will see that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Is it true that Jesus is our only hope? Can I get a witness? Is it true that all of us are sinners saved by God's grace? Can I get a witness? Is it true that God's love is able to save the vilest sinner no matter what he or she has done? Yes, can I get a witness? Are we really messengers from God? If so, what is our message? Here it is, plain and simple The day of Christ's return is near. It's time to repent. Get your heart right with God before it's too late. Isn't it that simple? That in this country, in this world, where people are following every philosophy and way known to man, that they don't know that there is one way to the Father, and his name is Jesus. And we are staying silent and not saying what we should. I know this message is confrontational by its very nature. Not mine, but the message of Jesus. But the other way we could go is to just let people go to hell. It's that simple. We often avoid this message because it is harsh. Because it seems judgmental and critical of others. But it is not. It is the truth. And it is the truth that will set them free. It is a message of love. Not judgment. A message delivered in kindness and grace. Not condemnation. And think about this, it is not really loving or kind to stay silent when lives can be saved. One of the biggest regrets I have in my life is a letter I wrote to a lost man who was dying of cancer when I was a college student. I've told some of you about it. He was my cousin's uncle on the other side of the family, not my uncle. He was a man that I had met just a couple times in my life. He was a pretty hard man car salesman as I recall a man who drank a lot smoked a lot who wasn't very nice to his family who was you know quite easily would cheat anybody if he could make a buck off of it and now he had come to a time where he was dying of cancer and quickly he was many hours away I was in school in eastern Tennessee he was uh, over closer to the Memphis area very long drive away and so I wrote him I wrote him a letter And the message I wanted to communicate to him was that he needed to repent and he needed to give his heart and soul to Jesus. But the way I did that was not very good, and I regret it to this day. My words were harsh. My words were condemning. My words were an attempt to get him to repent quickly because he only had a few days. And what I learned later was that they only shocked him. They only upset him and drove him further away from God. He died not knowing Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now, if I had been a better witness, I would have gone to him, whatever the cost. I would have stopped my classes, my other activities. I would have jumped in a car, and I would have driven to him. I would have spent whatever time I needed to show compassion, to establish some kind of rapport and credibility with him by caring for his physical needs then I would have found a way to quietly, graciously, but courageously tell him that he needed to repent and turn his heart over to Jesus, the only one who could save him before time ran out. I would have told him the whole truth, but I would have done it in a context of love and grace, not shame and condemnation. And since then, God has shown me something that there are two kinds of believers, maybe three, but two main kinds of believers. Some act as Pharisees, sitting in the sanctuaries and condemning the sinners who live out there. And some act like Jesus and his disciples, who have always gone out to the lost and to the hopeless people of this world and preached a message of repentance and grace. And we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we Pharisees or are we disciples? Are we like those who condemn from afar or are we like Jesus who goes to the people who need the message of repentance? Since we don't know the time when Christ will return, we must take the time we have right now to help people get their hearts right with God. Can I get a witness? God is asking there are people wondering, what is this world coming to? Is there any hope for the future? Is it all going to end soon? And our world needs witnesses, the witnesses we have been called to be. If we don't do it, nobody will. You know, this just doesn't have to be as difficult as we may picture it. The holidays are coming. It's one of the easiest times for us to have conversations about our faith in Jesus. It doesn't have to be this super confrontational in-your-face, I'm carrying a placard that says the end is near, repent before time is too late. It can be a simple conversation about Thanksgiving and what we're thankful for, which people will already be talking about this month. Without any fear or embarrassment, we can tell others we're thankful to God. We're thankful for what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Leave it at that. Christmas is coming and is perhaps the easiest time ever to talk about Jesus. Everyone is already talking about Christmas so we can add positive words about our celebration and how we are celebrating much more than just a baby in a manger or gifts under a tree. That we are celebrating one who came and gave his life for us. Now, I'm sure you can figure out a way to take that conversation further. I'm sure you can figure out what to say when the opportunity arises, but the point is to make the opportunity arise and to be a witness. Can I get a witness? God is asking you and me. You have people you know. You have conversations that only you can have. You have lives that you alone can touch and impact for Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness? Let's pray. Oh, Father, I must begin by admitting my own sins, my own failures to have conversations that you gave me, that I walked away from, or maybe I just got very quiet, or only said the beginning of what I needed to say. I know, Father, that probably most Christians in this room today have been squirming a bit. That's okay. Because the message that you have given us today is a message of repentance, a message of a call to repentance for this whole world, even in ourselves that maybe as Christians we have failed to do what you've called us to do. And I pray, Lord, today that we will not let this go. We will not walk away from this. Satisfied that someone else will do it, we pay John to do it or we We have people that will get the word out. It doesn't have to be me. Can I get a witness? It is clear, clearly ringing in my heart today. And I pray that it will be ringing in the hearts of other people here at New Hope. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, realize that we can't be Pharisees standing here in our sanctuary calling out the people of the world who don't know you. We need to be more like Jesus, sending out the 12, sending out the 70, sending out all disciples to go into a world and preach the good news of repentance and of new life, promised them in Jesus Christ. Lord, you're sending us out. May we be willing to go.